This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. We have um, quite a varied kind of show today uh, with a number of topics, but right off the top, we're going to uh, take you back to Confederation building yesterday. As you recall, VOCM's Richard Duggan was here in the studio with us yesterday outlining uh, some of what he saw and heard at that rally, um, primarily by families who either have a loved one who is uh, currently struggling with addiction or those who have lost family members uh, because of addiction. And as as uh, Richard Duggan explained to us yesterday, it was incredibly raw and very emotional when you saw, I suppose, the suffering not only caused to the people directly affected, but to their families as well. And these are people with parents and sisters and brothers and cousins and children. Uh, and as uh, Richard outlined, uh, highly emotional. Um, so um, Richard Duggan was um, in the crowd yesterday and had an opportunity not only to hear from the speakers who got up and spoke publicly, but he also had an opportunity to speak one-on-one with some of the people in the crowd. And right now she's in the recovery at the Gray Center again and like to get a few changes made with some of the laws, especially the privacy one. How difficult has has it been? It's been pretty difficult. She had a few years clean, and, and then like, with a few with the death of her father, and suddenly, and things went downhill, broken relationship, uh, and so on. What what was going through your mind when you've seen the stories over the last few weeks of you know people passing away and all, all, everything that's been out there about what's going on in the city? Well, basically, when it's my turn, when is this not going to come on the door? When is the phone? going to come. Being, uh, endless nights of sleep, worrying about her, going looking for her, find her, bring her back to my place. Right? And like, It's taking its toll on me also. What do you hope comes from this today? That uh, basically that we'd be able to see some changes. Uh, parents are more involved when they can't make a decision on their own. We should be able to be able to do for them uh, more recovery centers places for when they come out 28 day program is not going to work they're going to go back to the same surrounding same people like some changes longer term 6 months 12 months sent out of the province whatever the case may be why was it important for you to come out here today because I think uh, the problem of addiction is touching just about every family every one of us in, uh, and I think it's time for all of us as a community to rally to the support of those who are trying to do something about it. How has this situation touched your life? Well, uh, certainly, again, it has touched uh, the family, the extended family, and, uh, but also I've been working uh, uh, along with, with another group, uh, the Atlantic Hope Women's Centre, and uh, I've been part of a group that have helped to establish uh, that organization in, in the city, 
And so it has become a, an issue that's, I think, uh, close to many of our hearts. Especially with the work that you've done, what has been going through your mind over the past month and month and more, seeing the stories that have been coming out and seeing what's happening here in, in the province? I think probably... I think what, maybe what's most disturbing, I think, is, the, is, is still the lack of awareness. And uh, it seems that it has to dig deeply into even a family before we fully understand uh, just how devastating uh, this problem is. What do you hope comes from this rally today? Well, an increased awareness, I think, and uh, a broader discussion as to what we can do as society and as the community to... Uh, to to uh, to assist and to help to 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 rescue those that are that are caught in this horrible uh, problem of addiction. What do you think we're lacking right now? What do you think we need more of in order to help address this issue? I think we we need more education. Uh, we need more. We need to be informed. We need to understand uh, where it starts, how deep it is and uh, the causes and the cures, I think. Why was it important for you to come out to the rally today? Well, people like my niece's mother, who are suffering with addiction, uh, this child is left with no parents. My mother is raising her. Along with that, I've had three friends in the past three weeks all die of overdoses, and the government is doing nothing. Both my brothers suffer with addiction, and we've tried to get them help, and they're months and months waiting on wait lists. The government's not doing enough with the opiate crisis we have here, so I'm here to show support. How difficult has it been for you to watch your friends struggle? It's been really hard. I work away, too, so while I'm away, I'm getting calls daily now that my friends and people I know and care about are dying, and it's just not right. We need to do more here. What do you hope comes from this rally today? I hope that the government starts bringing more supports. Things like the Rowan Center that used to be around was a great place that comes back that they have more rehabs more supports and just so that people who want to finally get help can get help and that children who have can't vote can't buy alcohol can't do anything they stop having the right to just do what they want children are not always intelligent and they shouldn't at 14 15 have the right to make their own choices they should have to go in rehabs and get some help and their parents should be able to do that for them so that's just some of the voices of uh, people who felt strongly enough to go out in the weather yesterday, and it was uh, raining outside Confederation Building yesterday, although a lot of them were up underneath the awning area, um, who felt strongly enough to come out yesterday and tell their stories, as painful as they are, uh, to try and get more action, more resources, more... And a lot of them have very different ideas of what needs to be done. A lot of a lot of people have been talking about greater education, because I think a lot of us who haven't seen it face to face, and even those who have seen it face to face but are only seeing it for the first time, um, really don't understand what is happening. It's extraordinary, and the changes that have been happening over the last number of years have been so huge, haven't they, Claudette? It's really starting to become stark now. Yeah, it's very sobering, and I'm so glad that uh, you brought that to our attention once again. I mean, uh, listening to the show yesterday, I'm still thinking about that and wondering if uh, people will be making any actionable change there.
Uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. A lot of people with a, di- a lot of different ideas. I think um, a lot of listening has to be done. Um, From those with the lived experience. Exactly. And there's not just one solution here. There are a lot of multifaceted uh, areas. And, you know, each one of these families are different. Are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a very important topic that uh, we've been talking a lot about. Well, more questions are being raised about the care provided at long-term care and personal care homes in the province. Eric Knoll is speaking out after his father, who suffers from dementia, wandered away from a personal care home in Carbonier Wednesday night. Well, he joins me now. Well, Eric Knoll, you have a a very uh, concerning story to tell about your dad. We've been hearing an awful lot lately about uh, concerns raised about long-term care and personal care um, uh, homes in Newfoundland and Labrador, and we know that a review is currently underway, but you have another story to tell. What happened to your dad? Uh, My father was a uh, a resident of a long-term retirement home here in Carabinaire. Um, he had uh, he had gotten out of the building uh, last night. Uh, I guess he wandered. He went outside. He uh, either attempted to walk down over the big, large embankment behind the building, and then he had fell, uh, causing major trauma to his head, lacerations. Um, he was missing for quite some time. Uh, he couldn't until he, he found a residence on the, uh, the street below. And uh, that's how he, 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 gotten, he managed to get attention of the residents in the home, and they had called ambulance. And then we heard from the, we heard from the retirement home some time later. So, so, yeah, I was going to ask you, how did you find out about it? Uh, it was uh, over about a half hour or so after he had, after the ambulance had picked him up, that one of the people from the retirement home had called us and let us know. At, the, at that time, he was at hospital, in hospital. Now, I know this is tough uh, for someone like yourself to to contemplate, but what if he didn't have the wherewithal to, to get to that house and ask for help? He would have he bled out on the rocks. He wouldn't be with us. And his injuries, uh, you, you were telling me, are, are quite bad? He had uh, quite a large laceration to his forehead, to his head, his eye, his eyebrow, nose. He had. He was wearing glasses at the time. Uh, I went to the site where they found him, well, where he fell. Um, the area of the ground is covered in blood. His glasses were smashed on the rocks. One lens smashed completely. In pieces, uh, he and he managed to get up out of that and crawl to the house or walk to the house. Uh, he had a lot of lacerations on his legs and his arms. Um, there's blood stains all over the house and the property where he got assisted by the homeowner. It was quite a horrific thing to see and and to look at last night. How's he doing now? He's so oh, he's doing okay. He's uh, sleeping. Last I was at the hospital not too long ago. He he had surgery. They took him in surgery today in nowhere to uh, repair the lacerations in his forehead and his head. He's uh, he's resting. 
and just waiting on other doctors to see him. So obviously you, you must have um, made contact with, with the home. What were they able to tell you? How did it happen? They, the manager at home uh, last night when I spoke with her, she said it shouldn't have happened. Um, apparently they were understaffed. I, I don't believe he, at the time he was supposed to be being watched every 15 minutes and they say he was, but the timeline of from the time he went missing, where they said he went missing to the time they found him, uh, don't add up because uh, from the amount of blood and the the area where he fell, uh, blood stains on the fence, the house, like he he was, he had to be gone for longer than fourteen minutes. The home had told me that he was missing for fourteen minutes before they found him, but. That don't seem right to me at all. So what's your message now? There's a review underway into long-term care and personal care homes in Newfoundland and Labrador. What's your message to government? Somebody needs to uh, really think long and hard and step up to the plate. Uh, I mean, like if these retirement homes, I mean, I know there's long-term care, uh, there is special units for Alzheimer's to dementia patients, and I imagine that's probably where he'll have to go. Um, some of these retirement homes and whatever, I, like if they can't accept these, pa- if they shouldn't have these patients there, if they're not equipped to qualify, you know, if they're not equipped to deal with them, they're they're not locked units. Uh, they shouldn't be accepting them as a, as, a, as a patient, as a resident. Eric, we we appreciate uh, you telling us your story, and uh, we hope that your dad is doing okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that's Eric Knoll in Carboneer speaking out after his father, who is living with dementia, wandered away from a personal care home in Carboneer last night. Well, coming up, some pretty extraordinary acts of heroism were recognized today at the Anglican Cathedral in St. John's as the St. John Ambulance handed out its life-saving awards. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Well, this was always one of my favorite uh, things to attend in the course of of a year. Some pretty amazing acts of heroism were recognized today at the annual St. John Ambulance Life-Saving Awards Ceremony at the Anglican Cathedral. Well, Director of Marketing and Communications with St. John Ambulance, Roberta Hewitt, joins me now. Well, hello, Roberta. Hi. Well, I was saying to my colleagues here in the newsroom um, that the uh, St. John Ambulance Lifesaving Awards was always one of my favorite things to cover as a reporter because the stories, the human interest stories are always so powerful. Tell us a little really? bit about how this uh, this year's um, ceremony went and, um, you know, some of the stories involved in this one. You know, it's it's absolutely our most favorite day of the year at St. John Ambulance. You know, it, it's so wonderful to have the opportunity to present these prestigious life-saving awards. And today we uh, gave out 13 awards to citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador. And two of those awards were actually gold life-saving awards, meaning the recipients actually risked their lives to save other people. So just to touch on those two stories, we have Arthur Dominic, who ran into a burning home in Spaniards Bay um, earlier this summer, and he got all of the occupants out 
safely. Um, and he actually used previous first aid knowledge. He was assessing the scene and the hazards, fire safety communication, uh, and he monitored uh, the occupants of the house for shock while waiting for EMS to arrive. And he saved that family. So just an amazing, amazing story. And then Absolutely. I, I, I remember the story. It was only just, a, feels like just a few weeks ago. And I was talking was to like some people him. who were on the mm-hmm. scene. They said, you know, there, there was a guy who went in. And he I was did. like, oh my gosh, how could we talk to him? And they said, well, I'm not sure who it is. Anyway, now we know. We tracked him down. We uh, we absolutely did. Just such an amazing story, and we're so grateful. We had the opportunity uh, to present this gentleman with an award. And then the second gold life-saving award uh, was presented to Bradley Porter, who was boating um, just a couple of weeks ago, actually July 29th, and he heard a, a message on the radio saying that a small boat uh, was spotted with a man overboard. So he went to the area found the boat and the man was in the water and and Bradley jumped into the smaller boat, grabbed the casualty, hauled him out, um, got the casualty into the recovery position, cleared his airways, kept him warm until EMS arrived. So, you know, both of these these gentlemen just risked their lives to save somebody else. Like, isn't that just amazing? It just feels so good. It is amazing. And we, you know, I don't know, a lot of us have probably contemplated, well, what on earth would I do in that situation? I don't know if I'd run away or I'd panic (laughs) or if I take action. And you just don't know until you're in those situations sometimes. Don't. And Linda, sometimes I have conversations with some of of these life-saving recipients. And you know what they tell me almost unfailingly? They say the first day training kicks in. So it makes all the I, difference, I doesn't it? That, right? When you have that knowledge, it comes yeah. back to you. It's like riding a bike, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, it's like it's heightened. Um, it's it's very stressful. And obviously, like the training just kicks in. So I think, you know, and that's what today is for us. It's like celebrating um, these individuals who use first aid to save these lives. Just fantastic day for us. Now, that's, those aren't the only awards that you handed no, out. Those were the gold no. ones, and, and <laughs> literally the they happened just a few silver. weeks ago. But you uh-huh. have the Silver Life Saving Awards that were handed out as well? And so we had two brothers, Clark and Charlie England, and they used a tourniquet to save them the life of their mother. So uh, she had a rare aneurysm in her arm, and that broke, caused the artery to bleed out, and they were at home and knew what to do and saved her life. How old are they? Um, So I'm not sure. Charlie is a teenager, but Clark is a bit older. Just amazing. Someone that young knowing what to do. Uh Yep, absolutely. And another story we had, uh, Kristen Murin, Gerard Gerard Murin, Patrick Murin Keogh, and Aubrey Grouchy. So they saved the lives of a two-year-old girl and her sister. So they had fallen into a pool, and Patrick was five and Aubrey eight, and they discovered the girls in the pool, and they raised the alarm. So they got the adults on the scene. So Krista got the girls out of the pool, and one child was, was not responsive. So Krista and her husband, Gerard, had to perform CPR on the little girl until EMS arrived. Just amazing. Uh, anyone else uh, um, notable? 
Yes, we have uh, firefighters who in Port Rexton uh, performed CPR and used an AED when a fellow firefighter collapsed at the scene of a structure fire. So that was Fire Chief Jeffrey Fellow, Deputy Chief Lloyd Davis, Captain Sean Piercy, and Firefighter Gabe Fisher. And we also gave an award to Norm Jarrett, who delivered abdominal thrusts to save the life of a choking woman in White Way at a restaurant um, in July of last year. So how do these stories come to your attention? Are you just sort of scanning the headlines uh, or, uh, you know, how do they come to your attention? Uh, Some of that is what happens where VOCM will report on a story and we're always watching uh, to see life-saving stories come up and then we track down the recipients and then sometimes people know, people know about us. So for this, um, for the firefighters, for example, one of our longtime St. John Ambulance instructors, Craig Shepard, trained all of those firefighters in advanced first aid and he reached out to us when he heard about the story and he's so proud he's so proud and he was at the ceremony as well today um, because he trained all of those individuals in these life-saving techniques and what about the, the the people whose lives have been saved by some of these amazing acts of heroism you get a chance to talk to them i know i've spoken to some in the past and usually they're so emotional they can't really yeah. tell you the story yeah. but bonds are created for life it really absolutely are and sometimes the recipients attend the ceremony as well and it's so emotional for them to see their rescuer receive this award it means so much how do you thank someone i mean you know uh if you're in that kind of a circumstance you know that somebody's gone probably risked their own lives to save your life how do you thank them so i suppose this is is one of those cathartic moments It is certainly one way, and, you know, we're so grateful that St. John Ambulance has this system uh, of honors and awards where we can uh, formally recognize uh, these life-saving activities. Roberta, we'll hear more of these stories. Uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan was there this afternoon to uh, to take in some of the, the ceremony. So we'll be hearing more of these amazing stories now in the days ahead. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. And that's Roberta Hewitt with St. John Ambulance. And uh, Richard Duggan, just back from that ceremony and uh, some amazing stories. And we'll hear them throughout the day tomorrow as well. Well, coming up, the Atlantic Salmon Federation launching a new conservation program. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. Well, the Atlantic Salmon Federation is launching its new Wild Salmon Watersheds program tomorrow at the Bonavista Bay Search and Rescue Center in Glovertown. Uh, Communications Director with the Atlantic Salmon Federation, Kristen Knoll, is on the line. Well, good afternoon, Kristen. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no trouble. So the Atlantic Salmon Federation is launching a new program, Wild Salmon Watersheds. What's that all about? So the Wild Salmon Watersheds program is a new conservation program that's designed to conserve and protect rivers where we have healthy populations of salmon to uh, prevent declines that may happen in the future. So we're doing this by working with partners on the ground uh, to equip them with knowledge, tools, resources to be able to complete these long-term, long-lasting conservation projects. 
So generally speaking, what do salmon need to take them through uh, their life process? So the most important thing is they need some, they need cold, clean rivers. Uh, so some of the work that could happen throughout the wild salmon watershed program, it would definitely differ from watershed to watershed depending on needs. But some of the things that local partners might be able to do with this program would be um, improving habitat. So that could include things like stabilizing the riverbank, uh, enhancing cold water pools, monitoring salmon populations and environmental conditions. Um, it could also just be things like assessing the watershed's vulnerability to climate change and identifying key areas to focus on or mapping current and future land uses in the area as well to help um, help lead future initiatives. Yeah, so how do we mitigate against some of the, uh, the climate change that's happening now, especially rising temperatures? How do we mitigate against that to keep those um, freshwater uh, systems cooler and more, uh, I guess, comfortable for salmon? Yeah, so there are, in some places, there are warm water protocols in place. So when it becomes a little bit too warm to be ang out on the river angling for salmon, the rivers will shut down. But some other things that the Wild Salmon Watersheds Program could help with would be doing things like creating cold water refugia in different river systems or enhancing cold water pools that currently exist. So what specifically are you doing with this Wild uh, Salmon Watershed Program? Is it an awareness program or are there um, activities that are contained therein to, to help with this process? Yeah, so it's a conservation program that is a little bit different than what we typically think of because traditionally uh, different organizations, when we think of conservation projects, focus on areas where we have these steep declines or the habitat is already pretty degraded and we focus on trying to improve those. And while that work is, is certainly still very necessary, this Wild Salmon Watersheds program takes a different approach where it focuses on areas where salmon are still relatively healthy and the habitat is relatively clean, clear, um, and good habitat, generally good habitat for salmon, and just hope, uh, working to support this habitat, support these wild salmon populations, and make sure that it stays at that quality for years to come. And we're looking at this through a lens of 100 years or seven generations, so we're really trying to hit that long-term goal with these projects. So generally speaking, how um, are the Atlantic salmon populations doing here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Yeah, so they're generally still doing doing okay. Uh, we're, it, it definitely depends watershed to watershed, and uh, there's definitely some variation amongst the range of wild Atlantic salmon through eastern Canada and the northeastern states. But generally, uh, they seem to be doing okay in Newfoundland relative to some other places. And what's the main threat, I suppose, in, in um, uh, preventing um, salmon returns? Yeah, so unfortunately, there's a whole host of, of threats that can impact uh, wild salmon. So one would be open net pen aquaculture, which causes aggregations of sea lice, disease, interbreeding with native wild salmon. Uh, other things would be poaching, uh, pollution, climate change, pretty much anything. All of these things have a, have a pretty serious impact on wild Atlantic salmon. And what about water temperatures in the ocean, for instance? 
Yeah, that's definitely something that we have to be looking at, especially in the years to come with climate change. I don't know if I have an answer for you right at this moment, but it's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on. For sure. So the uh, the new program is being launched when and where? Yeah, so we have four pilot sites across the Maritimes. We have uh, in Newfoundland on the Terra Nova, that's being used as one of our launch sites, the Nipisiquit River in northern New Brunswick, and uh, the Marguerite and Shetacamp Rivers in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. So we actually had the launch for the two Cape Breton sites yesterday in the Cape Breton Highlands National Park, and the Nipisiquit River and the Terra Nova River, they're both being launched with an official launch event uh, tomorrow on Friday, August 25th um, in their respective areas. Kristen Noel, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And Kristen Knoll is with the Atlantic Salmon Federation. That launch taking place in Glovertown tomorrow. Not that far from the mighty Terranova River, one of uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians' favorite places to um, do a little bit of salmon angling. So uh, a lot of people taking uh, great, uh, paying great attention to that there. Well, when we come back, we're going to speak with the Historic Sites Association. They're opening a new art gallery this weekend in the downtown. We'll have more on that coming up right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we're back on uh, VOCM News Talk. Well, the History Sites, Historic Sites, I'm sorry, Association is opening a new art gallery this weekend to help raise funds for the operation of its sites throughout the province. You may know that the Historic Sites Association operates uh, places like Lance Meadows and um, Cabot Tower and uh, Cape Spear in conjunction with Parks Canada and a couple of other places across the province. uh, uh, sites that are very popular this time of year. Well, Enterprise Manager with Historic Sites Newfoundland and Labrador, Rhonda Walsh-Hatcher, joins me now. Well, hello, Rhonda. Hi. So the Heritage Shop Gallery, and a lot of people know the Heritage Shop in uh, St. John's and other areas around Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, uh, a social enterprise for the Historic Sites Association. You have a new... What is it, an art gallery? Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, we do. We have a, a new art gallery opened up on the uh, Heritage um, Shop on Water Street. And basically what we are doing, we are providing an avenue for local artists to display their work. Um, every so often we will have new artists come in. Right now we're starting off with three uh, local artists. We have Kelly and Pie Bashera, Roselle Doyle, and Doug Bird. Um The gallery is open Monday to Sunday, and it's a great time right now with the pedestrian mall going. Lots of fun things to do down on Water Street. While you're down there, make sure you check out our local gallery and see everything that Newfoundland has to offer. Now, the tourism season is slowly starting to wind down. It usually winds down a little bit into the fall months, but uh, will it be open all year? The gallery will be open all year. Right now is actually a very good time because we have a number of cruise ships coming into St. John's within the next couple of months. 
So downtown will still be hopping for sure. But yes, the gallery will be a year-long initiative. Again, as I said, we will be also showcasing other Newfoundland crafts, uh, such as quilting, um, uh, hook rugs, things like that. We're going to basically showcase the finest Newfoundland has to offer when it comes to art and crafts. So I'm assuming that this will have a distinctive Newfoundland and Labrador theme to it then? Absolutely. Everything that we are trying to bring into our shops now all um, represent local artisans and crafters. And how do artisans get that space on the wall? Because that's always a bit of a uh, of a difficulty sometimes. How do they get that space? Do they contact you? Do you reach out? Yes. How does it work? They can they can contact me or they can send um, an inquiry to gallery at historic sites ca and I will get that message and then basically we'll set up a meeting and I do have a bit of a waiting list but we are certainly hoping to make it very um, easy for local artists to showcase their work to give them an opportunity so that they can get out there with the rest of them and showcase what they have to offer and you take a commission for that is that how that yes, works we do we we are on a commission basis, so basically we only get paid if their product is sold. All profits from this go towards um, the Historic Sites Association, where we will put it back into historic sites around Newfoundland and Labrador. Right, so the operation of things like Cabot Tower and Cape Spear and those we kinds are of places? We profits with Parks Canada, for sure, and all the, all the profits will go back into these um, locations, for sure. And so what kind of a, I don't know, what kind of a reaction are you getting to this now? Are people excited by it? Yes, there seems to be a great deal of excitement. Um, we have our, our grand opening this coming Sunday from 2 to 4, um, where the artists will actually be on site so that you can meet them and talk to them and they can explain their work. And yes, we're having a great deal of interest, I must say. So where is it located? We are located on 309 Water Street, right above the Heritage Shop. So go up over the stairs, and there you are. And there you are. Yep. Well, <laughs> you will be greeted by moi. <laughs> by yourself. Rhonda, <laughs> I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And Rhonda Walsh-Hewitt is the Enterprise Manager with Historic Sites NL. Check out their new art gallery opening up on Water Street upstairs from the um, Heritage Shop um, this Sunday. Well, you heard earlier in the show Roberta Hewitt from St. John Ambulance outlining some of the uh, extraordinary stories related to their uh, St. John Ambulance life-saving awards handed out at the Anglican Cathedral this afternoon. And Richard, I was saying earlier that uh, it was always one of my favorite uh, things to cover Mm -hmm. because you hear such amazing stories of what human beings are capable of, especially helping other human beings. And you were there and got to Mm -hmm. meet some of these amazing people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really incredible, uh, you know, to hear some of these stories and then to get to put it uh, a face to the story and you realize like wow you were so brave and doing the thing that you did it's it's truly remarkable there are a couple that uh, really stuck out um, one is a, ma- a man by the name of Ar- Arthur Dominix and uh, I got to meet him today and so humble about 
what he had to do, which is truly remarkable. He ran into a burning building to save uh, a family that was inside, and he recounted the story to me today and how he was driving home from or driving to work, and um, he just noticed plumes of smoke coming from this house in Spaniards Bay. So he drove up and he stopped and there were people outside like trying to I guess throw rocks uh, to the window to try to wake up the people inside and he would just without thinking about it, just ran in and I asked him like what's going through your mind or is there something going through your mind or are you just sort of running on adrenaline and he said when someone else's life is in danger you just do it and it was really remarkable to hear him and really to hear about how how humble he was about it because you know he i asked him so like what does it mean for you to be here today and to receive the recognition from uh, saint john ambulance and he said it's secondary the fact that the family is alive and that they are safe and they are alive today that's the only thing that matters and just to see what they did in comparison to the the amount how humble they were about what they did is is truly one of the things that really is remarkable to me yeah and that's just a few weeks ago really was yeah that was the summer yeah that, yeah that was late june when that happened Amazing. so that was only recently yeah and all of the um things that that we heard about today they were all fairly recent as well like um Another one was a family, their two little uh, toddlers, uh, little girls, they had gotten into the pool area of their backyard and they fell in the pool. And it was um, two of the older kids had alerted the adults to what had happened. And it was the quick thinking on this little boy who I met today. He's only, I think, six or seven years old. And he saved the life lives of his two little sisters that day. And it's unreal like I can't but you know I think it just goes to show that in extreme circumstances like that anything's possible and you could do that and I was speaking to the parents and how they were taking turns giving CPR to one little girl who she had lost her pulse and they were trying to to bring her back while they were waiting for the ambulance and just to think about the uh, level of composure that you would need to be able to do something like that is just absolutely remarkable to keep your calm well enough not just to be able to to do that but to keep up that process and keep it going until the paramedics get there it, amazing another uh, two young fellas saved their mother who mm-hmm. had a hemorrhage in her arm yeah so she had had um, an aneurysm in her arm and it broke and when that happens blood is just sort of spewing everywhere and again their quick thinking is what saved their mom on that day and it's i mean just to think you know about someone that you love and if something were to happen like that the amount of panic that you would have and the fact that they had this little bit of knowledge behind them about what to do in a situation like that and they were able to save her life and she was actually there today and when they were up uh, receiving the award she stood up for a minute and the whole place clapped and it was a really sweet moment and again just to and again just to look at her and think she would not be here today if it wasn't for the fact that they had that little bit of knowledge that helped save her life it is extraordinary and when you see the heroic acts i mean you you wonder yourself if i encountered that how would i would i have the wherewithal would i just act or would i crumble yeah and 
it, I think it just goes to show when you see there are 13 people today that received these awards. Clearly, yes, you can. <laughs> you know, in, in in circumstances like that, something, I guess, just kicks in and you're able to... to uh, to, to keep going. And I think that's from the people that I spoke to today, that's really one of the main messages that they, they just, they weren't going to give up. They just, they knew someone was in danger and they just need to do it. There's another man who, uh, his story is remarkable as well. Um, he was out boating and he had heard a distress call come in and the, uh, from someone who had, uh, gone overboard. And so he drove his boat to the location and he dove in to try to get that man and, and save his life. And he was able to do that. And so just, again another remarkable story and I spoke with him briefly and you know just again just just the most humble guy you know and we think about these stories and we think you know uh, these are real life superheroes and which given what they have done they are but then you meet them and you talk to them and you realize they're just like me and you they're just average people who did a really remarkable thing and again yeah it just goes to show that anything is possible in those types of situations it really is richard duggan so glad that you attended that and we're able to tell us these stories and we'll continue to tell us these stories tomorrow you will hear directly from these people mm -hmm. uh, throughout the day tomorrow yes. really appreciate it yes absolutely thank you linda and i will say that i did speak with arthur dominix the man who ran into the burning building and i also spoke with the parents who saved their kids from the pool so we'll hear those wow. stories tomorrow morning on your vocm mornings thanks so much thank you uh richard duggan uh there um who uh, was at uh, the anglican cathedral um today this afternoon well <laughs> i don't know about you claudette but uh it put me in mind of you know you wonder if you're going to be the type of person that would you know do it or freeze have, yeah you know have that wherewithal well mm -hmm. i remember not that long ago as a matter of fact uh my husband was cutting some crab <laughs> crab <laughs> okay. legs at the table with the, one of those big you know knives yeah they freaked me out anyway so i was like be careful now. Whatever you do, be careful. Yes, Lindell, be careful. Sydney's chopping away at this this crab, you know, cut, cutting it up. And I turned my back on him and was, you know, going at the dishes or something. And I heard this sound. I can't explain it, but it was like a shh-bonk. And he went, oh, like that. And I heard, and I almost passed out cold on the floor. I started to scream. And he's like, Linda, what are you doing? What's the matter? I just you know you heard now, the sound he he was holding his finger but what he had done was he just barely nicked Graced it down. just barely nicked it uh but i you <laughs> thought that the finger was going to be on the floor yeah. or something oh my god my knees went weak yeah. i started to scream the whole nine yards only based on the sound but i think you would be different if it was a stranger it might yeah i really believe that because i'm a different person around family than I am. Yeah, you take care of yourself. I'm out of here. <laughs> right, like I, I mean, if I... There you go. Compassionate Claudette. That's what I'm going to call you from now on. No, but if you... I really believe if it was in a dire situation, I think you would be... do everything that was in your power, um, you know, but... Yeah, just sitting at the table with your husband. Would you really go that... I'm just kidding. <laughs> You were crab legs. You knew he was going to be okay. It was a finger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but something about that sound. It yes, was, I, I it really, would make you white. I got white listening to you tell the story. If if I was looking at him, 
it would have been a different story. But where my brain was already in this place of you better be careful you better or be you're going to cut your finger off. And then hearing the sound that sounded like. Y- yeah. Anyway, no. I, I think you I went would right under weak. pressure. You would do well. Yeah, I hope so. And if your husband like really think so. was hurt, <laughs> you would tend to him I'd like too. to think that I have some kind of a nurturing, you know. Capabilities. Yes, yeah. you're a mother. Of course you do. <laughs> anyway, congratulations to all of the people yes. recognized today. Just extraordinary stories. And like uh, Richard said, we'll hear more about them. But um, just, you know, you can't say enough. And what do you say? Uh, if someone say, if a stranger saved my life today or you tomorrow, feel indebted to them. How do you ever adequately express your thanks by paying it forward? Maybe getting that first aid course is right. the only thing you could do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah, like you say, paying it forward, helping someone else. Yeah. Anyway, extraordinary. I'm so happy that we have these people living among us. Just amazing. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone.